It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Her disturbing attack made international headlines. Her polarizing case ignited a public outcry. Her defiant words shifted the conversation. Today, the woman once known as Emily Doe has stepped out of the shadows with her new book, Know My Name. Her name is Chanel Miller. According to court testimony, in January of 2015, then 22-year-old Chanel Miller attended a party at a fraternity house on the Stanford University campus. Chanel drank alcohol to the point of blacking out. She has no memory of any events past approximately 12.30 a.m. Shortly after 1 a.m., police arrested 19-year-old Brock Turner, a Stanford student and collegiate swimmer. He was later charged with sexually assaulting Chanel while she lay unconscious. With no memory of the attack, Chanel woke the next morning in the hospital, confused, scared. Her underwear was missing. She had debris in her hair, and she endured a rape kit exam that took hours. To protect her identity, authorities gave her the name Emily Doe. Fourteen months later, after a grueling media frenzy and trial, Brock Turner was unanimously found guilty on three charges of sexual assault. He served just three months in a county jail, sparking a national debate on racial bias and class privilege. Feeling silenced and minimized by the court system and feeling shamed by the press and public opinion, Chanel took a chance and released her 12-page victim impact statement to the website BuzzFeed. Within four days, more than 10 million people had read Chanel's statement. By sharing her brutally honest and raw emotions, Chanel's words sent shockwaves through the country. Her statement is credited for bringing a long-overdue new perspective on rape, sexual assault, and victims' rights. For more than four and a half, I think it's now four and a half years, the public has only known you as Emily Doe. Yes. And now in your book, Know My Name, which I think is such a profound title and statement, you are revealing in many ways who you really are. Yes. Yeah. So first of all, let me say welcome Thank to Super Soul Sunday for doing it here. And it has been just a short time now 
there's a 60 Minutes piece, other stories. Now you're sitting here with me. Since you revealed yourself, where you're merging the two, Emily Doe with Know My Name, Chanel Miller, I read that during this whole time, you've been feeling like you were living a double life. Yeah. And that even your family and some members of the family still and friends did not know that you were Emily Doe. Yes. Yeah. So what has it felt like to merge them? Well, today is the first day as my full self. And it feels really amazing. Like, for so long, I felt like I was living a shrunken version of myself. Or maybe there's like a little two-inch person in my chest operating this four-limbed vessel that I called my body. But I felt extremely hollow and fragile. And now it feels like I've finally like grown into my limbs and I'm sitting here fully. And mm -hmm. it feels amazing. And I think it's what any victim wants is just to be fully back inside themselves. That has been a long, arduous process as you reveal so articulately in um, Know My Name. And in this book, you write that the fact that you were able to remain anonymous all these years has actually been a testament to the world's grace. I think it's incredible that you have been anonymous in a world that is filled with social media and everybody trying to out everybody or cancel somebody, you know? Uh, how did that grace feel to you? Well, when the statement came out, I saw some reporters tweeting, if anyone has information on her, let me know. And they all said, leave her alone, give her time to heal. They basically built this fortress and put me away inside it. And they mm -hmm. said, we want nothing from you. During all those years of the Oprah show, I did about, I think we counted up, 217 shows wow. over the years regarding sexual abuse, whether it was assault or rape or child molestation. And as a survivor, one of the reasons why I just kept doing it and kept talking about it is because I think it's a scourge on our humanity. Mm -hmm the way we see women, the way we abuse women, the way we abuse um, children. And it's still happening in families and churches and schools and college campuses. So over the years, it's been my intention for people to actually be able to open their eyes, actually, and see the truth and allow us to help free victims from their shame. Because the shame is the thing that kills us, you know? Absolutely. You've been in that. Oh, yeah. So you know. So what was your intention for writing this book? Well, to free from that shame that was never ours to carry in the first place and to say by the end, I'm going to put this down now. It's your turn to yeah. carry it. It's not mine anymore. Yes. In the prologue of Know My Name, you say you have no qualms being called a victim just that you're not Brock Turner's victim. Yes. Explain that and why. Because apostrophe S has a possessive quality and yeah. I don't belong to him, never had, never will. Uh-huh. And your case was one of the most famous after the start of the social media area where you could read comments under the articles. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they were saying awful things, like he was only 19, she hooked up with a freshman, doesn't that make her the predator? 
bored suburban kids can't keep it in their pants, mm -hmm. lame. It's not like he drugged her. If she had a boyfriend, why wasn't he there? I mean, mm -hmm. you're reading all these horrible online comments from people you don't even know. And that's just piling on the shame. Oh yeah, I digested it, it calcified, it cemented inside me mm. for a really long time. And that was also my most vulnerable time. I was extremely porous. I was really hungry to mm. hear mm. any opinion on this case or talk to anyone. And at the time, online was all I had. And so you'd go there? I would go there. So I want to talk for a moment, not the hour, but for a moment, about that night, if it's okay with you. It's okay with you? Yes. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because you've written a whole book yeah. that takes us through it. So the book is called Know My Name. So if you want all the details, you read the book. Both you and Brock Turner were intoxicated the mm -hmm. night of the assault. And mm -hmm. you write, alcohol freed Brock Turner of moral culpability that because you don't remember, he was free to write the story. Yes. Tell us what you meant by that. I felt like I lost all my power when I didn't have memory. And in court, the defense always reminded me, Chanel has no memory. Chanel has no memory. Tell us what you do remember. I remember going to this party with my sister. I was dancing on the mm -hmm. chair. We were being really silly. This was your younger sister. This is my younger sister. Um, she was still in college. Um, so it was, it was all good for the beginning of the evening. And you had been drinking. Yes. And toward the end of the evening, you don't actually, your memory ends where? I was standing with my sister and a few other friends. Uh -huh. There's some guys there, and we were in this circle of light on the patio, but there were people all around. Oh. Mm. So I want to know, how do you see alcohol as a factor that night? I would say that no matter your blood alcohol level, there is no point in which you say, okay, now you forfeit bodily autonomy. Now you've had this much to drink, anyone gets to do whatever they want to you. That limit does not exist. If you drink too much, you deserve to have a really, really bad hangover. That's on you. Right. And I'm happy to accept that. But at no point is it okay for someone to stick their body parts into you because you've had too much to drink. That will never be okay. And so when you wake up the next day, you were saying that you found out what happened. You wake up the next day in the hospital and there's a detective in the room. Yeah. What did you think then? I mean, I think it's so wonderfully written that I actually felt like I was in that hospital room with you. Yeah, I had dried blood on the backs of my hands. I was in a gurney and there's a dean of students and a police officer and they were very grave and somber and I thought these men are really serious. I felt really disoriented but my last memory was with my sister, sister yeah. and I didn't know anyone at the party. I hadn't been talking to anyone so when they said you've been sexually assaulted I was like all right let's tone it down and let me get out of here. Wow. Yeah. And then you immediately went into, I must protect my sister mode, because when your oh, sister yes. comes to the hospital to get you. First of all, I thought you allowed us into the private spaces in such a profound way that 
we were on that table with you. And it is, I guess, for only people who have had to go through it themselves, who've been uh, sexually assaulted. But the women were unusually kind, it seemed, yes. They were. Mm -hmm. And their kindness allowed me to relax. And I, I knew there was apology in what they were doing, in the gentleness with which they touched me. I'm sorry this is happening. They didn't have to say it, mm -hmm. but they cared for me deeply. And I also felt extremely safe in those few hours, even though it was extremely invasive and painful. I felt like if anyone at that time were to come after me, they would just put up a wall or yeah. fight for me right mm -hmm. then. And if you can create that space for a survivor immediately after it happens, you will save her in that moment. That time period is so critical. She needs to be able to feel that and also know that she deserves right then to be protected, for someone to sit with you and say, I'm not going to let anything happen to you now mm -hmm. and you are safe. Mm -hmm. You have to know that after. Mm -hmm. And you felt that? I felt that. On the evening of January 18th, 2015, then 22-year-old Chanel Miller was sexually assaulted at a fraternity party on the campus of Stanford University. Brock Turner, a student and member of the Stanford swim team, was arrested and charged with the crime. Although Chanel had no memory of the attack, two witnesses came forward to corroborate her accusation. Carl Frederick Arndt and Peter Johnson, graduate students from Sweden, were riding their bicycles past the fraternity house that night. They saw Brock Turner on top of an unconscious Chanel, assaulting her behind a dumpster. As they moved closer to investigate, Brock Turner stood up and tried to run. He was quickly tackled by Peter and held down until authorities arrived. When you leave the hospital, Chanel, you still don't know what's happened. You found out what happened to you online. Tell us about that moment that you describe in Know My Name. Yeah, I'd only been told that a guy had been acting hinky around me, just around. I thought, oh, there must have been an odd guy at the party who'd been setting off red flags. I knew that he had been chased and tackled. I had no idea there was any direct relation to me or that he had made any contact with my body, I didn't know exactly how I had been found. So I went on, I tried to carry on with my life, go about my day. And I was at work and I opened up the news and read about the way I was found, how one nipple is out and I'm half naked and I understood why my hair that morning had been full of debris that I had had to rake out mm -hmm. slowly. And I immediately said, that's not me. I refuse to accept that reality. Yeah. That had no connection to my current reality. And if I had a choice, I would have just said, I don't want it. No, thank you. Mm. But did you, in that moment, in that particular story, read about the two Swedes yes. who apparently saved you? I did. Yes. Not only saved me, they, they checked to see if I was breathing first. First, the priority is, is she okay? Then one of them went after him, did a leg sweep, took him down. And not only did they tackle him, they said, what the F are you doing? Uh -huh. Do you think this is okay? And they sat 
on him, the two of them pinning down his limbs in the dirt and basically said, we're not moving until we know she's okay. We're not going anywhere until we see her being cared for. Mm -hmm. They saved you. They saved me. Yeah. Do you ever think about, well, you had to in these four years, you've thought about everything. Do you ever think about, because I certainly was thinking about it as I was reading Know My Name, that what if those guys hadn't come along? Mm. I would not be sitting beneath an oak tree with you. I have no idea how that would have panned out, but knowing myself and how independent and self-sufficient I had tried to be at that time, I would have gone home, taken a shower, and tried to forget it. And it would have eaten me from the inside out until I was hollow and would have tried to find help in some way, but I would never have had answers. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. And you say on page 67 that in other blackouts, I was responsible for acting a fool. Yeah. But waking up to an empty McDonald's bag. Yes. And crumbs on my chest was different than waking up with dried blood and clothes missing. In the obscurity of the blackout lived a pivotal difference. Rape required inflicting harm mm. on somebody. The moment I was violently dragged into his story, my story stopped. When I was finally out of his hands, or rather when his hands slipped out of me, I was released back into my life. But it was during that brief passing over, that period where he took the reins, where I lost everything. Mm. That was a long period you were lost. Oh yeah. Extremely long. It took me six months to even tell one person. It took me eight months to even go to therapy. I appreciated that in your impact statement, you wrote about taking your first shower after yeah. the assault. And anyone who has been assaulted knows what that feeling of trying to come back into your body is like. I stood there examining my body beneath the stream of water and decided I don't want my body anymore. I was terrified of it. I didn't know what had been in it, if it had been contaminated, who had touched it. I wanted to take off my body like a jacket and leave it at the hospital with everything else. I think this is one of the things that men can't exactly wrap their brains around, what it's like to live inside a woman's body, how we're objectified and violated in so many ways. So have you made peace with your body? Well, yeah, I remember that moment and 
You know, there's no water hot enough for that moment the way you want to scorch yourself until you disappear. Clean yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now I, I, I have, like I said, sitting here, I can feel myself from my head to my toe and I feel the sun on my cheek and I feel how comfortable these chairs are and I feel my feet in the grass. I feel like I'm here finally and it took me a really long time to even want to, to feel like I was inside myself. Fully integrated. Yes. Do you ever think of like harming yourself? Not going on, not living? Mm. Did it get that bad? Mm. I definitely... You did. Mm. I think sometimes mm -hmm. when you're really isolated, you think, I'm just gonna slip out the back door. The world's gonna keep spinning. Mm -hmm. But I can't, I can't be here right now. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, no, that's not the case. And I would always keep coming back to the thought, like, this can't be it. This can't be the ending or where the story ends. How impossible. Yeah. Because up until then, there were so many things I enjoyed doing. Yeah. I enjoyed drawing and running. And I knew that self was there. And I would look around and think, what happened to that? She was always there. I just really couldn't figure out how to get back to her. Uh -huh. And I always told myself, even if you have no idea what your future looks like, Something is there. And my mom always tells me, stay open, stay learning, and never let yourself go. Mm. And so even when it was really difficult and I wanted to block away feelings to protect myself, I'd say stay open. When I was in the court process, I would think, well, I'm at least learning how it is to be inside this windowless courtroom, which mm. many victims don't even get to see. Mm -hmm my duty to stay here and report on it and feel it so I can come out the other side. Mm. So what kept you from slipping out that back door? Was it your mom? Was it your sister? Was it uh, a faith, a, 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 a belief that it won't always be this bad? What kept you holding on? Because as we sit here speaking right now, yeah. somebody is hearing us or watching us yeah. who is thinking of slipping out mm. the back door. Mm. I came home from trial one day. My sister had just testified. She's sitting on the couch, completely despondent and vacant. I'd never seen her like that, with tears just leaking out of her eyes. Couldn't figure out what was wrong. And she, in her mind, was made to believe that she had blown the whole case, that something in her testimony had messed it up for everyone. That's what the defense had made her believe. He had picked her apart and left her sitting there, yeah. crying on the couch. Yeah. And when I saw that happening to her, I thought I understood what they're doing. They're making you fixate on that self-doubt and yeah. growing it inside you yeah. until you can no longer function. It was happening to her, and I felt it happening to me. And as soon as I saw that, I said, this is where I draw the line. There are so many brilliant young women who have their whole futures ahead of them, 
And then this comes in externally and makes you shrink and sends you into the corner and says, you, you go think about all the things you did wrong, mm -hmm. why you don't deserve to carry forward. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I want you to share with our Super Soul audience, mm. was it a moment in time or a series of experiences that brought you to the place? Because the thing that I have seen over and over again and also experienced for myself with my own sexual assault, being mm -hmm. raped at nine and 10 and 14, is that the shame, as I was saying earlier, is the thing that destroys us. Right. How did you manage to get to the space where you felt confident enough to evolve into, you emerge into your own sense of defiance? Mm -hmm. Because I have to say, if this had been me and my generation, mm. I would have done what you said you would have done had the Swedes not found you. Even if I'd been found, I would have been so ashamed and carried the shame in such a way that I would have blamed myself. Mm. I would have blamed myself for being at the party and why did I go and why did I drink and why did I let this happen to me? I'm sure you went through all of that. Yeah. And then you came out on the other side of it and yeah. said, in, it doesn't matter that I was there yeah. and that I was drinking or that I was blacked out. Nobody has the right to treat me this way. Oh, yeah. How did you get to there? Well, I think in the beginning, the shame was able to, well, first of all, initially I didn't feel shame. It seemed very clear to me that if someone attacks you and runs away, that's his problem. Yeah. And the shame was learned over time. But, and then you heard from the, even the, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but you then heard from the detective that one of the Swedes who found you was so upset. He was crying. He was crying. So yes. then you think, whoa, I've made grown men cry. Yes. So what, what actually did happen? Yeah. Yeah. So you weren't ashamed at first. Right. But shame needs a contained space in order to grow. Mm -hmm. And since I wasn't telling anyone, it was just festering yeah. inside me, unmonitored. Yeah. But as soon as I released the statement, then it was able to yeah. breathe. And as soon as you open it up and let it out a little, it loses so much yeah. power. It can't hide once it's no longer a secret. Yes. Yeah. The secret is what also breeds and festers and Absolutely. allows and you it begin to... to form all these negative ideas of yourself, which are not... Which are not helped by reading comments on the internet. No. <laughs> I also, I mean, people... I thought if anyone ever found out about this at the very beginning, they would just think it was disgusting or I was irresponsible. But when the statement came out, parents were sending me photos of their kids saying, this is the face of the person who you're making the world better for. I hope my daughter grows up to be like you, courageous, loving, a good The exact opposite artist. of what you'd yeah. read. Yeah, yeah. From some of the comments earlier. Yes. Yeah. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. When you embarked upon the court process, mm -hmm. did you realize what it was going to be? Absolutely not. I didn't even understand there was anything to be discussed. I didn't think the case would go anywhere, but a year and a half later, you know, people on his side were submitting letters to the judge, testifying to his character. What was the basic distinction between how he was represented and, and you? He was a full person. He had skill sets. His high school French teacher testified at the trial, his ex-girlfriend, his high school swimming coach. He was surrounded by these characters and people. And so interesting him. how even in the media, when it was first reported, mm -hmm. his swimming scores, oh, his yes. background, all of that was a part of who he was versus the intoxicated woman. Right. I was just the object that it happened to. I was the thing that, it was, that was found as a result of his actions, but I was never given time to express myself. There's never a time in court where they say, let us hear what happened from your point of view. Even the statement, you have to get the verdict. You have to have a guilty verdict in order to be able to, to make, express To make a that. statement. Yeah. yeah. You say that when society questions a victim's reluctance to report, mm. I'll be here to remind you that you ask us to sacrifice our sanity to fight outdated structures that were designed to keep us down. You know, you press charges within 24 hours of the assault. Yes. Right? And you, along the way, you had many opportunities to actually walk away. You say, I did not want this job. I wanted my old life. But let him walk away. I could not let it happen. When do you have two sober, unbiased witnesses? This never happens. It, and when you think about the court process and how many obstacles there are, I was assaulted on Stanford campus. They don't do forensic exams at Stanford Hospital. I was taken 40 minutes south to San Jose. So if you are assaulted at Stanford, how do you get there? Let's talk about transportation first. You're not allowed to shower or change or comb your hair. So what do you do, call an Uber? Have an Uber driver take you to go get your rape kit done? Do you text the only friend you know who has a car and disclose that information? How do you even get there? Once you get there, you have to go through the exam. How do you get home. Once the rape kit is there, it takes so long for it to get processed. There are so many factors along the way that people don't take the time to think through. So when they say, oh, why didn't she report? I say, well, why don't you sit me down and walk me through how she's going to be able to get through this process and who's going to be sitting with her as she goes through it? Mm. You, uh, you know, you say, I believe we're all multidimensional beings, and in court it felt harmful being flattened. Mm characterized, mislabeled, vilified. So I will not do the same to them. I will use Brock's name, but the truth is he could be Brad or Brody or Benson. 
and it doesn't matter. You know, this passage reminded me of the millions of women whose stories will never be heard. Yes. Is that what you meant when you were writing this? Oh, yeah. I mean, even in the hospital, I remember asking the detective, you know, how often do you get these cases? And he said, well, there's very few that get reported and even fewer that even make it to us. So you are in the smallest percentage. Because you had the two witnesses. Oh, yeah. And then I was already working with police, and then I was being cared for, and evidence was collected. I understood I was in this teeny tiny sliver of percentage from the very beginning, that somehow that was a privilege. During the trial, you reach your lowest point. You say, I realize this was it, was rock bottom. I was touching the bottom. What was rock bottom for you? It was being in this ratty bathroom in the little square courthouse with two-ply toilet paper with my hair everywhere, my makeup completely smudged off, me feeling internally ravaged and feeling completely alone. And it, it was almost liberating because I thought, wow, it can't get any worse than this. But when I look around, I'm still here. You know, I've still decided to show up. And, you know, after that little bathroom break in the courthouse, I walked right back into the courtroom and thought, well, shoot, I'm doing it, you know? You're doing it. I'm doing it. I'm still here. You're still walking. Yeah. You're still walking. Oh, I'm leaping. During the trial, you say Brock Turner only apologized for being mm -hmm. drunk. Yes. Has he ever apologized directly to you? He has said the words, I'm sorry, but just because you use the dictionary terminology doesn't mean mm -hmm. there's heart behind it. It was so amazing to me that you can go through this entire process and not once is he challenged to think about the other person's perspective. He's not forced to do any self-examination, introspection. He's allowed to remain in that protected space. Let's talk about the sentencing. Mm -hmm. You write about it on page 241. You say, at the very start of the sentencing, the judge said that the question he had to ask himself was, is incarceration in state prison the right answer for the poisoning of Chanel's life? I thought it had been strange the way he'd phrased it, you say. To him, my lost job, my damaged hometown, my small savings account, my stolen pleasures had all amounted to 90 days in county jail. I wondered if in their eyes the victim remained stagnant, living forever in that 20-minute time frame. She remained frozen while Brock grew more and more multifaceted, his stories unfolding, a spectrum of life and memories. Where was her redemption story? Nobody talked about the things she might go on to do. I'd laid my suffering bare, but lacked a key element. The judge had given Brock something that would never be extended to me, empathy. My pain was never more valuable than his potential. Mm -hmm. That is such a powerful statement. So the judge, you believe, extended empathy to him and sentenced him to six months. What do you think should have been the fair sentence? I think it should have been proportional to the harm. Mm -hmm. I also know that there are young men of color serving far longer sentences for nonviolent crimes, for having a smidgen of, of marijuana, marijuana yes. in their pocket. The people in prison for years. Yeah. People of color. Yes. Yeah. So and so did you have summer. a did you have a number in mind or a sentencing in mind? Did you 
At least one year. One year is the maximum for county jail. It never even crossed my mind that it would be less than, less than that. We had spent 18 months just getting to that point, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. for it to go to three months. Mm -hmm. So how did you feel when you walked out of that courtroom? I had no plans. I felt like I had failed. And I also, like the first time I ever testified, I didn't let my parents in the room. Mm -hmm. I didn't let a single friend in. I was very determined I'm going to protect all of them and do it by myself. I'm going to do this alone. And finally, by the sentencing, I let in some friends and family and thought this is my chance to show them who I really am and redeem myself. And as soon as it happened, I thought this is why you do things alone. This is why you should have never let anyone in. You made that mistake. That was my regret walking out of the courtroom. You make the point in Know My Name that you don't have to be a flawless human being. Oh, no. Yeah. The perfect victim. In order to deserve to live. Yes. Yes. And the perfect victim does not exist. We're all thinking, oh, if I had just had been less drunk, or maybe if I was a virgin instead. It doesn't matter. The perfect victim does not exist. And we're trying to achieve some unachievable, unattainable thing. Yeah, that's what we've done. I was just going to say that we have done that all over the world for years. Yes. What was she wearing? Yes. Was she drinking? Yes. What did she say? What did you do? I mean, listen, my own father, when I went to him in my 40s to finally have the conversation about a relative who had raped me at 14, my father, my own father said, what did you do? What did you do? And I said, Dad, I was 14, and he was 42. It wouldn't have made a difference if I was walking buck naked in the house. I was 14. He was 42. Mm. He was the adult. So I think there needs to be a paradigm shift. This begins the shift. What do you think? Well, when you say you need to change your behavior, yeah. you're basically saying, you know, don't let yourself be the drunkest one. Let it happen to somebody else. You're saying, don't let it be you, just pass it on to someone else. So we're never going to reduce the number of rapes. That means all the rapes stay exactly the same. We just go through our life hoping, oh, I hope that's not me. Yeah. But it's still going to happen to everyone else. Yeah. So I'm not interested anymore in critiquing these little individual things. They are, these are not isolated incidents. Yeah. We're not going anywhere as long as we do that. Yeah. So I'm done with that way of thinking. I will say this, though. I just recently talked to Malcolm Gladwell, who's written a book called Talking to Strangers. The Stanford rape case is a part of that story. And he talks about the role alcohol plays on so many college campuses, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that most people think that alcohol makes you less inhibited. He's saying studies now show that it actually makes you more myopic and dumber, and that when you have a person drinking or two people drinking to the point of being blacked out, highly intoxicated, that it's a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And that on all of these campuses, when people talk about sexual assault and what they can do to curb sexual assault, alcohol never comes up. That everybody mm -hmm. thinks we should have more lectures or we should have more, you know, uh, seminars where people understand both sides of genders mm -hmm. feel. 
and alcohol is not used as, or at least considered as the vital role that it, that it, that it plays. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there should be more emphasis on drinking or not drinking on campuses? I think there needs to be more issue on consent specifically and just the basicness of that, even if you're in this gray area. Yeah. But just saying consent is, is this person okay with what's about to happen? If you're not sure, and if they're not sure, then the answer is always no. no. So do you see yourself now as an advocate for victims? I would like you to read your a portion mm -hmm. uh, of the uh, statement, because that statement went viral all around the world. You saw immediately after leaving the courtroom and hearing the judge give him the six-month sentence. So here's the lowest point in your life, and then you walk out of the courtroom and that statement has, you know, exploded, actually. Yes. I'm sure it must have felt like that wonderful line from Avatar, I see you, right? Mm. Yeah. Like being seen for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I felt like I was, I was going to be okay. And I still, it's not like a light turned and I healed in an instant. Mm. I understood there was a lot ahead I would still need to understand and work through. But I also knew that I would never be alone again. They made that extremely clear. And as long as I know that, I feel like I can take on anything. Mm -hmm. Can you read the statement? It's right there. Yes, I can. And finally, to girls everywhere, I am with you. On nights when you feel alone, I am with you. When people doubt you or dismiss you, I am with you. I fought every day for you, so never stop fighting. I believe you. I hope that by speaking today, you absorbed a small amount of light, a small knowing that you can't be silenced, a small satisfaction that justice was served, a small assurance that we are getting somewhere, and a big, big knowing that you are important, unquestionably. You are untouchable, you are beautiful, you are to be valued, respected, undeniably every minute of every day. You are powerful, and nobody can take that away from you. To girls everywhere, I am with you. Mm. You are a beautiful writer. Thanks, so yeah, You are a beautiful writer, and I, I love the way you, or, or appreciate the way you describe this moment. You say, the agony is incessant, unyielding. Mm. But when you get to the point where you feel like everything's gone, there's a little twist, a flame, a small, shift. It is subtle. It comes when you least expect it. Wait for it. This is the rule of the universe. This is the one thing in life I know to be true. No matter how awful and long your journey, I can promise you the turn. One day, it will lift. I'm so glad you got lifted. Oh, thank you, Oprah. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. Not only did you get lifted, but you used your lift to lift other people. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.